Thank you for tuning into sermons from Liberty Baptist Church in Newport Beach, California. Our goal is to help you know God more and take the next step in your spiritual journey, no matter where you're at. If you have questions about God or about Liberty, you can connect with us at libertybaptistchurch.org. We pray that the Lord will use this message to be a help and encouragement in your life. We're on week number five of our series, Our Renewed Purpose. It started on Vision Sunday in January. It's not a new purpose for our church, but it's a renewed purpose. We have to figure out, as a church, we have to know our why. What is our purpose? By the way, in any role in your life, you need to know your why. If you're a husband or a wife, what's your why? And the Bible gives us our why. In every role of life, the Bible gives us our purpose as Christians. What's our why? Why do we meet at Liberty Baptist Church? Are we just a religious social club and and we just gather together to have a good time? What is our why? And so we've been talking about that uh, for the last four or five weeks and started on Vision Sunday. Probably we'll be in this series for one more Sunday morning service message, and then we'll jump back into the book of Acts, going verse by verse. I think we'll be on message number 61 or 62 in the book of Acts. We'll be back there um, in, a, in a couple of weeks. The, th- these last four or five messages have been about our why, the four-part purpose of our church. The last message in the series will be more about the how, So we understand why we're here, but what's the process? Not just our purpose, but our process. And so that's where we're going, and that's what we'll be doing by way of review. And if you're visiting us today, if you're a guest, we're so glad that you're here. And if you'd like to catch up on any of the messages in any of our series, you can jump online on our website or our Facebook page, our podcast, and do that. But for those that have been with us in January and February, we're going to find out a little pop quiz, see who is paying attention. Can you help me? They're all action verbs. And we've talked about the first one. Why are we here? What's the purpose of the church? Jesus gave us the great commission. Our first purpose, number one of our four-part church purpose, and we as Christians, anybody remember, is to, oh, is to what? Share the gospel. What did Jesus say in Acts 1, the beginning of the church? Ye shall be witnesses. What did he say? The last words to his disciples. What did he say? Go ye into all the world and preach. Whatever you just did back there helped me a little bit on the monitors. Uh, Go ye into all the world and preach. So we're here. Why does the church exist? If we're not sharing the gospel, we're we're not fulfilling our purpose. We're not just here to entertain uh, believers and to, to sing songs that make you feel good. We're here as Jesus left us here as Christians to share the gospel. People should be having their lives changed. What is the gospel? Just the good news that Jesus came to die on the cross, was buried and rose again. Lives should be, be being changed by the, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. But then what? So people get saved. You're a believer. I'm a believer maybe. And there might be someone here that you're not believers. And if you're not, I pray that today is the day that the gospel changes your life. But once we get saved, then what? Are we done with our purpose as a church? Have we fulfilled our purpose as Christians? What after salvation? Our second purpose here we talked about is to grow in the gospel. Grow in the gospel. What did he say? Not only just to go preach the gospel, but then teaching them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. We're supposed to, the the Christian life is a lifelong journey of growth. What did Paul say? Not as though I had already attained. 
either were already perfect. I press toward the mark. What is he saying? I haven't arrived as a Christian, and neither have you, and neither have I. It's a, it's a journey of growth, growing in grace until God calls us home. So we get saved and then we begin to grow. It's why we have church services and Bible studies and we challenge folks to dive into the Bible on their own and, and personal devotions and podcasts and all of this, why that will grow in the gospel. And then last week, we looked at the third part of our fourfold purpose as a church. And then we tried to practice it a little bit uh, with our family cookout last Sunday afternoon. The third part is not only share the gospel and grow in the gospel. Anybody remember last Sunday's message? We are supposed to connect through the gospel. God wants the Christian life was not meant to be lived in isolation. The Christian life is meant to be lived in community. We're supposed to be building relationships and praying with one another and laughing together and crying together and helping each other and edifying each other and encouraging each other and keeping each other accountable. The Christian life, and I use the illustration of Satan is as a roaring lion. What does a lion look for? One of the things he looks for in prey is one that is isolated from the pack. If he can get an animal separated from the pack, it's a much easier target. By the way, the same is true, spiritually speaking. If, if we isolate ourselves from the family, we become much easier targets to the attacks of Satan. It's one reason why in the last year, with the shutdowns and the, and the quarantines and all of that, it's been a dangerous time for people. You can look, mental health and, and depression and discouragement and suicides, those numbers are all on the rise. Why? Not even just for believers. Humanly speaking, we were not meant to live alone. What did, what did God say in Genesis when he created Adam? It is not good that man should be alone. We were created for fellowship. We were created for community. And so the church exists not just for us to live the Christian lives alone together. I talked about that last week. But for us to connect and build relationships in the church. Today we will look at the final piece of our four-part purpose uh, at Liberty here. And that is to live the gospel. I, I told you already we'll be in Philippians chapter number four. Paul writing to the church at Philippi. He's writing from prison. But what we're going to see today is Christianity is an active endeavor, not a passive one. It's not just in the Christian life enough just to be a Christian. And you've heard me say this before. We are human beings before we are human doings. We need to focus on the internal relationship with Christ before we focus on the external fruits of Christianity. That being said, yes, the priority is internal, but a true belief in Christ, a true relationship with Christ, the gospel truly changing us will always come out on the outside. What does the Bible say? It says faith without works is dead. Now, I'm not preaching a work salvation today. We don't work for salvation. We work from salvation. Well, I'm not telling you you've got to do this list of things to earn God's love. Oh, no, there are some things that we will do because we have experienced God's love. That's a, that's a paradigm shift for some. For some, it's let me mark all of these external boxes and then I'll be a good Christian. No, it starts on the inside. The Christian life is intended to be lived from the inside out, but it is supposed to make its way out in our lives. There's a danger on both sides here. Well, my, my Christianity is all external, and that was the Pharisees, and Jesus said, you're like whited sepulchers. You look good on the outside, a, a, a tomb. It looks good, that polished marble, the headstone, but on the inside, it's dead men's bones. That's what Jesus said. 
The external Christian life, there's a danger there, but there can be a danger as well. Well, I just do whatever I want. It doesn't, don't, man looks on the outward, God looks on the heart, and we use that to justify every wicked external thing that we want to do to fulfill our fleshly desires. Well, you don't know my heart, God knows my heart. No, but the Bible does say by, your, by their fruits, ye shall know them. So don't get it confused on either side. The Christian life is lived from the inside out, but it's supposed to make its way out somewhere. It should change the way that we live. A true growing relationship with Christ will lead to fruit in our lives and in our actions. So we're going to look at that, our purpose as a church and as Christians. You see, because Christians are not called to be passive consumers, we are called to be active contributors. We're not just called to take, take, take. I learn, I grow, I learn, I grow. And I'm going to show it to you from Scripture. We learn so that we can give. We grow so that we can give. We're blessed to be a blessing. We receive so that we can live. We receive the gospel, and in turn, we should be living out the gospel in our lives. I want you to look at the passage, if you will, Paul writing from prison to the church at Philippi. By the way, the the letter to the Philippians is one of the only ones that Paul wrote where there aren't strong rebukes and corrections. This was a godly, uh, a godly church that Paul had high praise for. Look at what he says as he's closing up this letter. Philippians 4, familiar verse for some. Would you read verse number 8 aloud together with me? Philippians 4, verse 8. Ready? Begin. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, Whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report. If there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. Paul here telling them, finally, here's what I want you to focus on. What's going on in your heart and mind, internal in your Christian life? Now notice verse number nine. Notice what he says. Those things, I believe in context. You remember the verse divisions were not here when it was written. It was just a letter. I believe Paul's pointing back to those characteristics, those Christian attributes. Those things, because he said, think on these things. And then he immediately says, those things, which ye have both, what's the word there, church? The verb, which ye have both what? Learned. And what? Received. And what? Heard. And what? Seen. Four verbs. All of those inward, those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen. You've been, you, you received the gospel. You've been growing in the gospel. And what, by the way, that's that the internal is first. That's why in our purpose, we started with share the gospel, grow in the gospel, connect through the gospel, but it doesn't stop there. What did Paul say? Those things which you have both learned and received and heard and seen in me. What's the last verb there? Those things that you've seen in me, what church? Do. Paul said, you've seen the fruits of the gospel in my life. You've heard the fruits of the gospel from my my lips. You've, You've watched them. You received them. But don't just receive them. Yes, for inlets. But now you need to go live the gospel, the things you've heard and seen and received and learned in me. Do those things and the God of peace shall be with you. He tells them four inward verbs leads to one outward verb, and he's teaching them that our beliefs should affect our behaviors. What we be- you, you, you don't, don't tell me what you believe. Show me what you believe. I tell my wife I love you, but I never show her I love you. That's probably not the right kind of love. 
I tell her, we're, we're, we're one team, I won't do anything without you. And then I, I tell the kids they can get a dog without her permission. That's probably not the right kind of marital love, right? And thankfully she's forgiving as Christ forgives me, she forgives me. But it's not just what we say, our belief, what we say we believe should affect our actions, our behaviors. If we say that life is for service, guess what? That's our belief, then it should come out and we live to serve. If we say we believe that we are like Christ when we sacrificially give, we will be generous people. We say we believe the first and most important command is to love the Lord with all our heart, that upward and inward relationship. And the second is like unto it, thou shalt love thy neighbor as thyself. I believe those are the two most important things. Guess what's going to happen? Our lives are going to be characterized by love for God and that inward relationship here. And it's going to come out in that love for neighbor, that outward relationship. A, gospel, a life that is changed by the gospel can't keep it all to themselves. The things I've learned and received and heard and seen, I will begin to do. It's going to come out. I'm going to live. It's, going to, it's not just going to be the gospel change in my life. is not just going to change my Sunday morning schedule for an hour and a half or two hours, and then I do whatever I want the rest of the week. No, the gospel in me is going to change the way that I walk and the way that I talk and the, the things that I listen to and the things that I, that, I, that I drink and that I smoke and that I would look at on my, my computer and the way that I treat my wife and the way that I treat my spouse and my children and my coworkers and if I'm an employer, the way that I treat my employees and if I'm an employee, the way that I, I, I respect and submit and serve those that are above me. The gospel in me is going to come out of me. Again, faith without works is dead. By their fruits ye shall know them. Paul telling the church at Philippi, finally, brethren, that the things that are inside, let them come out of your lives. Look at verse number 10. He says, but I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me, your, your care, your service hath flourished again. This idea of serving was not, was not a one-time thing for them. Wherein you were also careful. You, you were always looking to serve, but you lacked opportunity. He said, I rejoice that your love for God came out in your love and care and generosity to me. By the way, the, our love for God will always come out in our love and care and generosity for others. Our beliefs affect our behavior, not what we say we believe, what we show we believe. Look at verse 11, please. Paul goes on here to say, not that I speak in respect of want, for I have learned in what sort of state I am therewith to be content. I know both how to be a base and I know how to abound everywhere and in all things. I'm instructed both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. And verse 13, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me. Paul teaching here, he said, I'm so glad that you're living the gospel and it's blessing my life. You've given to me over time and again. He said, but that's not why I want you to be generous, not so I can get more stuff. I don't, I don't need your stuff. You need to give your stuff. That's what Paul's saying here. He said, I don't need your stuff. I've learned how to praise God when life is good and how to praise God when life, seemingly humanly speaking, isn't so good. I've learned to be content when the bank account's full and when the bank account's empty. I've learned to be content when I'm in prison and when I'm out of prison. And by the way, Paul said, I have learned. It's not natural. And that's why he says, I can do all things. In context, what is he saying? I can praise God no matter where he places me. Basically, what Paul is saying, he, he's saying here in his life that, that I, I, can, I can do all things through Christ. I can rejoice when life stinks 
Because with God, life never really stinks. I've learned to be abased and to abound, to be full and to suffer need. He said, I don't give to get. I didn't, I didn't invest in you so you would give back to me. It's not about what I can get in return for my service. Now look at verse 14. And we're laying the foundation, and, and, and I'll give you a few thoughts that won't need to take too long. Verse 14. Notwithstanding, even though I don't need your gifts, you have well done that you did communicate with my affliction. It was a good thing that you gave them. Now you Philippians know also that in the beginning of the gospel, when I departed from Macedonia, do you see this here? No church communicated with me as concerning giving and receiving. What did he say? There were a bunch of selfish, inwardly focused churches that were not living the gospel. They had received, but they weren't giving. They were focused on their own needs, not on the needs of others. They took and took and took, but they never gave. Notice what he says in verse 14. Or 15, I'm sorry, 15. At the end, the last three words, but ye only. You're the only church that had a heart for service, a heart for giving. Verse 16, for even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again under my necessity over and over and over again. This is just who you are. The gospel has changed you in such a way. It's not, well, I'm going to sacrifice once. I'm going to give once. I'm going to meet the need. You're always looking for opportunities to serve, to meet the needs, to help, to encourage. That's who you are. And he says, brethren, I rejoice in the Lord that that's how you live. And I want to challenge you to keep living that way. Verse number 17, he says it again, not because I desire a gift. Please, I'm not a money-hungry preacher. Give to me and, and I'll, no, I don't need it. Well, here's what I want. I desire fruit that may abound to your account. I'm not asking you to give to be a blessing to me. I want you to give because it's going to be a blessing to you. Verse 18, I have all. I abound. I have everything. And by the way, this is someone speaking from prison. I have everything I need. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you. By the way, when they gave to Paul, they weren't just giving to Paul. They were giving to God. Look what it says. An odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. God is thankful for your giving, serving heart. God accepts your sacrifice. It's a beautiful, well-received thing from him. Would you read verse 19 aloud with me? Ready? Begin. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. What is Paul saying here? There is a joy and a reward to serving, to living for others. We bring others joy when we live that selfless life. Didn't Paul say, I rejoiced greatly when you gave? They brought joy to Paul. We bring honor and glory to God when we give to others. We get fruit that abounds to our heavenly bank account. When we give and serve, what is the Bible? He said, there's fruit that abounds to your account. When lives are changed through your care, through your service, through your generosity, God knows who provided, humanly speaking, for that, and that goes on your account. That's what Paul said here. God is pleased, and not only that, then Paul says, he says, and your needs will be met when you live to meet the needs of others. My God will supply all your need because you've worried about meeting the needs of others. What a deal! Christian life is awesome, isn't it? I get to live to bring joy to others, to meet other people's needs, to, to make their lives better. And you know what happens? What, what Paul told the Philippian Christians, when you live that way, your life gets better. 
and you have more joy and God will make sure your needs are met. This is not a prosperity gospel. This is a generosity gospel. This is a gospel that has changed us when we use it to meet the needs of others, to bring joy to others, to make their lives better. God says, in turn, your life gets better. You have more joy. It is more blessed to give than to as I give, I think I'm helping them, but I'm really helping me. It is more blessed to serve than to be served, to live outwardly than to live inwardly. It has been said a person wrapped up in themselves makes a very small package. We've, we receive to give. The Christian life is an outwardly focused life, not an inwardly focused life. By the way, can I take a, a two or three minute break here? I love to read the Bible and apply the Bible in context to understand what it's really saying. Paul messes up. He messes up two really well-known verses, uh, some widely used promises of Scripture that we love to throw on coffee cups and Instagram memes and, and, and photos with oceans and meadows in the background. We love Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. And we use that as some kind of a humanist manifesto that anything I set, the power of positive thinking, anything I set my mind to, I can do. I, don't, I can do it through Christ that strengthens me. And I'm not against it. I'm thankful there's a professional athlete that's not ashamed of, of Scripture. And Steph Curry has made in his apparel, put this verse on shoes and things. And I'm thankful. I'm not criticizing. But this verse isn't about, if you put your mind to it, you can win an NBA championship. If you put your mind to it, you can become the CEO and be a millionaire. This verse, I can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth me in context is, you can, God can help you to have the strength to be content with anything he gives you in any place he places you. I can do those things through Christ, which strengthens me. In my own heart, I can get discouraged. I can be in despair. God, why would you let this happen? With Christ strengthening me, God You've got a greater plan than I do. I'm content right where you have me. The second verse he kind of messes up is the one in verse 19. But my God shall supply all your need according to his riches and glory by Christ Jesus. We kind of use that as a blanket promise. Well, I believe in God, so he's, he's always going to give me everything I want or need. In context, the thing, what he's saying here to them is, because you've lived generously, give and it shall be given. God will pour out his blessings on you. Again, not a prosperity gospel, but a generosity gospel. As you give, God will bless you. Commercial over, back to our passage. So what do we see is, here is the closing thoughts to this wonderful church that Paul praised as he wrote from prison. First, we see him telling them, finally, brethren, guard your thoughts. Guard what you're focused on. Guard your influences. What sort of things are true, just, honest, lovely, good report. If there be any virtue, any praise, think on these things. Guard what comes in, and then what does he say? And let what you take in affect what comes out. And do what you learned, heard, seen, received. Do those things. We could, we could really summarize what Paul's saying here with two words that are very familiar to us in the physical realm. If we're talking about your physical health, if you're struggling physically, maybe you're out of shape or you're, you feel like I need to lose a few pounds or I need to get my, my cardio, I need to get in better shape, my heart, my, I'm just, whatever it might be. What are the two key words that, that's probably somebody, a doctor or a nutritionist or a trainer is going to tell you, they're going to say, if you want to get in shape, here's the two most important words you need to focus on. Number one, your diet and exercise, right? Now, I'm sorry, some of you are getting flashed. I don't want to think about those two things. Why are you bringing that up at church? I don't want to think about diet or exercise. I came here just to be blessed. 
But physically, we understand this in the physical realm, don't we? What we take in affects our health, and what we give out affects our health. Diet and exercise. What is Paul saying spiritually? Finally, brethren, be careful what you take in. Grow in the gospel. Be careful what you watch, what you listen to, what you think about. Be careful your diet, and then make sure you're getting enough exercise. You're not just taking in, but you're using that energy to give out, to serve, to grow, to love. Diet and exercise, what you take in and what you give out, the same is true in our Christianity. What we take in is important. That's why church attendance and daily Bible time and prayer and our music and our entertainment and podcasts and Bible studies. But the intake is not all that matters. What we give out, giving, serving, living for others, God has called us to live the gospel. And in this passage, in verse 8, we see our diet, what we take in, it should affect us in three areas, and I'll be done. Number one, it should affect the, the gospel taking in the gospel should affect our living. It should affect our living. You see it there in verse 9, the things which you have learned and received and heard and seen in me do. May I ask you this morning, how does the gospel you've received, if you have received the gospel, if you haven't, I hope today will be the day of your salvation. If you've received the gospel of Christ, how does it affect your daily behaviors? Are, Are our lives characterized by things that are true, honest, pure, lovely, of good report, virtue, praise. Something's wrong if Christ in us isn't coming out of us in those ways. I'm a believer, but what comes out of me is the opposite of those things, lies, dishonesty, wickedness, evil, bad report, iniquity, grumbling, Is our living any different because of the gospel we've received and grown in? Mature Christians live and love differently than those that don't know Christ, or they should. Paul talks about another place, the fruits of the Spirit are love, joy. You can go, what is he saying? That which is in us should come out of us. Well, I've received the gospel. It's, it's all good. I, I, it all came in. I got to, I'm growing. I, I, I know more about the Bible. And I went to Bible study and I prayed and, and, and I'm, I'm growing in Christ. How's the fruit? How are the words? How's the web history? How are the texts? How's the work ethic at work? How's the honesty and integrity at work or at home or at school? Is it coming? Is it changing? Is the gospel changing our living at all? Hey guys, Paul says, the things that you saw in me, you heard, you received, you learned, do. Let it change your living. True, honest, lovely, pure, good report, virtue, praise. That's what should define and characterize the believer that's growing in Christ. It should change our living. Be ye holy as I am holy, saith the Lord. Touch not the unclean thing. Number one, it should change our living. I told you I wouldn't have to be long. Number two, it should affect our serving. Verse number 10. What does he say? But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at the last your care of me hath flourished again. 
I'm so glad that you have a heart for service. You cared. You look beyond your needs. You're constantly trying to find lives you can touch, people you can help, needs you can meet. The gospel in us should cause us to be servants, to regularly be looking for people we can help and lives we can touch and needs we can meet. That's what Paul is saying. I rejoiced that your care of me has flourished again. Look what he says one or two pages back in your Bible. Philippians chapter number two, the same letter that he's writing to the church at Philippi. Look what he says in Philippians two, verse number three. What a beautiful passage. He says here in verse three, let nothing be done through strife or vainglory, selfishness. I want my way. But in lowliness of mind, let each esteem other better than themselves. I want them to have what they want. I'm willing to sacrifice myself. Look what he says in verse 4. Look not every man on what, church? On his own things. But every man also on the things of who, church? Others. Let this mind be in you, which was also in Christ Jesus. Uh Uh-oh. Which mind? The mind he just talked about and the mind he's about to talk about. What did he say about Jesus? who being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation and took upon him the form of a what church? Servant. And was made in the likeness of men. And being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself and became obedient unto death, even the death of the cross. Do you see it? He humbled himself internal. And again, Christ is God. He's perfect, but internal. And he became obedient unto death, external actions. You see how many times he talks about humility here? He says, in lowliness of mind. He says, esteem other better than themselves. Don't look on your own things. Let this mind be in you, who, who being in the form of God, thought, but made himself of no reputation, took upon him a form of a servant, was found in fashion. He humbled himself. To be a true servant takes humility because we all naturally want to be served. In, in marriage, we want our spouse to serve us. And, and you know what he's saying as the Christian, you, you have the greatest example, Jesus Christ, who humbled himself and did the ultimate act of sa- sacrificial service. He laid down his life for you so that you could have eternal life and forgiveness of sins. And Paul says, you can't meet the eternal needs of everyone else, but you should strive to have the same mind that Christ had. What was that mind? How can I not look on my own things, but look on the things of others and say, I can meet that need there and I can pray for that need there and I can encourage that person there and I can serve in that capacity there and husbands should serve their wives and wives should serve their husbands and teachers should serve their students and students should serve their teachers and employers should serve their employees, what we call servant leadership and employees should serve their employers and and, and children should serve their parents and parents should serve their children. That is the life of the Christian. And by the way, we think there's great joy in being served But what we find out is the greatest joy is in learning to serve. He says, the gospel in you should change how you treat each other. Classmates should serve one another. Employees should serve one another. Neighbors should serve one another. Fellow church members should serve one another. Pastors should serve their people, and people should serve their pastors. And, and it's not that I, re- I, I desire a gift. Oh, no, it's not that, oh, just make my life easier. No, it's the Christian life. We're all looking, how can I help and pray and love and encourage and give? How can I do more to make a difference in the lives you've placed into my life? What is our purpose as a church? To live the gospel. 
the gospel in us. I'm willing to teach that class or work on that bus route or serve in that nursery or sing in that choir. I'm willing to drop off groceries to that, to that family. I'm willing to pray for that need. I'm willing to weep with those that are weeping. Why? Because my life isn't just all focused on me and my burdens and my needs. No, I've, I can do all things. I've learned to be abased and to, to be abased and to abound. I'm fine. I'm content with where you have me, God. But help me to live, to give. May that be our testimony. True Christianity is a life of humble, selfless, sacrificial service. That's what true Christianity is. Living the gospel, the gospel in us, should change our living, do, should change our serving, and then lastly, it should change our giving. Notice verse 14. Back over to chapter 4, if you will. We're almost done. Chapter 4, verse 14. Notice what he says. Notwithstanding, I don't, even though I don't need a gift, you have well done. Notice done, action verb, something outside, external. That ye did communicate with my affliction. You did a good thing that you gave to help me. And he says here, you Philippians know that you're the only one that did in concerning giving and receiving. Look at verse 16. For even in Thessalonica, you sent once and again unto my necessity. It wasn't a one-time thing for you. Not because I desire a gift, but I desire fruit that may abound to your account. But I have all and abound. I am full, having received of Epaphroditus the things which were sent from you, an odor of a sweet smell, a sacrifice acceptable, well-pleasing to God. When we love someone, true love is always expressed in giving. Again, I say I love my wife, but I never show it. That's probably not a real strong love. For God, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world that he... He what? He gave. Paul says here, Christ in you should come out in generosity. And again, this is not a pastor, money-hungry pastor trying to get the offerings up. No, this is hopefully a, 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 hopefully a Bible-focused pastor trying to get God's people, himself included, to understand that the Christian life should lead to a generous life. And that's not always financial. That can be in time, that can be in prayer, that can be in compassion, that can be a gift or a resource or a talent that we have. But what we say is, God, you've placed some things into my hand. You've given me some money. You've given me this knowledge. You've given me these relationships. You've given me this family. God, help me not just to hoard everything you've placed in my hand for my own enjoyment and pleasure. No, God, help me to say, how can I use that relationship to, to make a difference with the gospel? How can I use that money to make a difference? How can I use that career to make a difference? How can I use that family, that, that, that our marriage, not just for our own pleasure and enjoyment, to make a difference in the lives of others? The gospel in us should change our giving. What is the gospel? It's the good news that Jesus gave everything so that we could have everything. And he gave us everything. And then Paul says, let this mind be in you. Jesus gave and gave and gave. Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. I want you as my father followers to give and give and give. And you've done a good job, church at Philippi, that you've given over and again. A lot of churches weren't generous like you, but you were. And Liberty is a generous giving church, I believe. But I, I think if you're anything like your pastor, all of us can be reminded because the natural tendency is to turn inward, to get selfish, to, to hoard, to grab. If you're anything like me, you need to be reminded, you know what? I'm getting a little too inward focused. I need to give more. What should the gospel lead us to do? It should lead us to be some of the most generous people on earth. 
Sometimes, like unbelievers, believers can be selfish and stingy. And sometimes, like unbelievers, believers can be generous and, and giving. These things, as far as believers being stingy, ought not so to be. I heard of a nearby church. I had lunch with the pastor, and I was talking with his administrative assistant. And we were chatting about it. I believe they're the second largest church in California. And she was telling me how the previous pastor, not the one I had lunch with, but the previous pastor, one day was preaching to their church. And, and it's a large, again, second largest church in, in the state. It's a large church. And he was talking about the generosity of the members of their church. He was speaking, I believe, if I remember correctly, on stewardship and on giving. And, and he said a lot of people, this church has some prominent, influential people, some very wealthy people. And he said a lot of people think that the majority of, of this beautiful campus and the missions works that we do and the things that you see here is because of some, some really uber wealthy people that have done that. And he said, we've had some generous wealthy people, but he said, the reality is by percentage, he said, our church over the decades long history has actually been supported far more percentage wise and, and by, cap, by capita, if you will, by those middle class and below. And he wasn't, he wasn't creating class warfare, and he wasn't, he wasn't criticizing the wealthy. He was just saying what we have found is, is generally speaking, not always, but generally speaking, those with what we would say is a little less have been by percentage a little more generous than those with more. And, and sitting in that service that day, there was a wealthy man who got convicted about his own lack of generosity. And if I understand the story correctly, what she told me, he met the pastor after the service, and he asked him, he said, how much are we in debt? What's the mortgage principle of our loans for our property? And I think the number was 27 or $28 million. And the man looked at him and he said, you'll have a check this week. Now, I don't know what the mortgage principle, I hope I, payment, I hope I never will know what the mortgage payment is on 27 or $28 million. But I have to imagine it's probably somewhere in the range of a couple hundred thousand or maybe a quarter of a million a month. Probably two hundred dollars to $250,000 a month in mortgage, in mortgage debt servicing there. Can you imagine, because of the generosity of that man, how much more that church on a monthly basis has been able to do for gospel projects and the need of the gospel in Orange County and in America and around the world and, 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 and what, what they've been able to do? What was the pastor reminding his people of in that message? Christ. Now, he wasn't asking some wealthy person to do that. He was just saying that Christ in us should make us generous with our earthly possessions. And someone sitting there got convicted and said, you know what, I can be more generous with what God's given me. By the way, if anyone listening today online or currently sitting here is wondering, the debt at Liberty is currently $2.25 million, all right? You don't have to meet me in the lobby. I'll just let you know what it is. Or if that man, if anyone knows his number, give him a call. I'm not, I'm not, this is not a message to wealthy or middle class or what we would call poor. This, it's not that at all. It's a reminder that Christ in us should make us generous with what he's entrusted to us. The last two weeks, I think I've only mentioned it two or three times, we're coming up next week with the Seedline Bible Project. Our church is going to pay for and assemble 100,000 copies of Scripture. We're going to send those off again. We're, we want to, it's an opportunity for us to live the gospel. We've received the gospel. We want to share it with as many people as we can. So we're going to, we're going to assemble and staple and collate and fold and, and, and pray over and send out 100,000 copies of Scripture. And I've told the church, I said, the cost for that project is $20,000. 
About a dollar for every dollar is five copies of scripture. And I, and I told the church, I said, in years past, we've paid that out of the mission surplus where we're at right now. We don't really have much of a mission surplus right now. And, and I said, if you can give an extra gift toward that, that'd be, that'd be a blessing. And I've seen on the offering report over the last week or two, uh, some gifts, $100 and $500 and some gifts toward that. And I'm thankful for that. And, and then I got an email from our finance manager. He forwarded it to me and he said, he said, uh, I was contacted by a member. I just wanted to let you know that they're going to be transferring in this week $10,000 toward that need. Well, that encouraged me. What is that? That's a church member that says, you know what? I have some things and I want to live the gospel. I want to make a difference. And then literally 10 minutes before our early service this morning at 820, I don't normally check my email, but I jumped on to see if somebody had responded to an email that I had sent out this morning. And, and I saw an email from our finance manager and he said, just a heads up, somebody gave $20,000 toward that need. You say, we have 30000 now. What are we going to do? Well, if we'll either try to do more copies of Scripture this year or we'll keep that in a designated fund for missions or for next year, Lord willing, the Seed Line Project will seek to do more Scriptures. But what, what am I saying there? Again, this is not, you may not be able like me to, that I can't either to give $28 million or $2.25 million. You may not be in a position, I'm not, to give right now today $20,000 or $10,000 or $1,000. That, that's not the point of the illustration. What it is, it's one to thank God's people for having a heart to be generous, but two, it's a reminder that all of us should be generous. And generosity is not based on our income level. I've met some unbelievably generous wealthy people. I've met some unbelievably generous middle-class middle people and middle-aged people. I was going to say middle-aged, but middle-class people. I've met some unbelievably generous poor people. I remember traveling to the Philippines in a village these people had nothing, not, not a single car, not a single television, nothing. They lived in rice paddies. I stayed in the home. I preached in the church the next morning. And these people, they eat chicken about once a month. It's a special treat. It's a big occasion for them. And you know what they did when we came, the Americans came, to, we were trying to be a blessing to them. You know what they did? They killed several of their chickens to feed us breakfast the Sunday morning before I preached. Now, for you and for me, if we want to eat chicken today, all of us probably could, could go buy some chicken or buy a meal that has chicken in it, except for you can't go to Chick-fil-A today. You can do that tomorrow. But other than Chick-fil-A being closed on Sundays, we could get chicken today. For them, it's a special treat. And what were the, what was the, that's not 28 million or 2 million or 20,000 or 10,000, but you know that the measure of that generosity is just as much as that. I've, this is not about, it, generosity is a heart condition, not an income level. It's not dependent upon an income level. It's dependent upon, has the gospel, Jesus, ultimate generosity, has it changed me to make me a generous person with the resources that I have? I've met wealthy people in every, every uh, economic status, and I've met stingy and selfish people in every one of those wealthy, middle class, and poor. The reminder here, Paul says this, as Christians, all of us should be generous. The gospel should affect our living, our serving, and our giving. What is our purpose, our why? It's to live the gospel. I close with this illustration. In Israel, if you've been there, there are two bodies of water that are both fed by the same source, the Jordan River. There is the Sea of Galilee, which I think we have a picture of. The Sea of Galilee is a, you can see it there. It's lush. It's surrounded by, by foliage. It's green. There are children that play around it. I've been on a boat on the Sea of Galilee. There are trees and fishing. There's sea life. You'll see fishermen with nets. There are fish swimming in there, and there's life in bloom everywhere. 
A few hours south, fed by the same source, the Jordan River, is a body of water we call the Dead Sea. We have a picture of that also. And several years ago, I had the privilege to travel to the Dead Sea. Pro tip, if you ever make it there, do not get any of that water in your mouth or in your eyes. The salt content is so high, it literally tastes like a, a crazy hot sauce in your mouth. And if you get it, I got one drop in my eye and that eye didn't open for about 15 minutes. It's extremely painful. Don't put your head underwater. It's not a swimming pool. What's the difference between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea? We call it the Dead Sea. Why do we call it the Dead Sea? Because there's no life around it. There's no life inside of it. There are no fishermen with nets. There are no fish swimming. It's dead. What's the difference between these two? Why is one alive and flourishing and thriving and growth coming out of it, and the other is dead with no marine life or plant life? Why is that? You see, the Sea of Galilee has an inlet and an outlet. The Dead Sea only has an inlet. It only takes in. It hoards what it receives. And because of that, it never gives out. Because it never gives out, it's dead. We as Christians should be taking in God's blessings and giving them out. Taking in the gospel and giving it out. Taking in people praying for us and giving it out, praying for others. Taking in the love of of loved ones and family members and fellow Christians and giving it out. Taking in the love of Christ and giving it out. We should should be doing that not just once, but as he said to the Philippians, time And again, are you a Sea of Galilee Christian? You're receiving in and giving out and there's life, there's joy. Or are you a Dead Sea Christian? It's take, 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 never give. Our purpose is not just to receive the gospel and grow in the gospel. Our purpose is once we've received it and once we've grown in it, to live it. It should change our behaviors our living. It should change our heart for service, our serving. It should change our generosity. You know, the truth is an inwardly focused Christian and church will be joyless and will slowly die. You find a church that's only focused on the inside, you'll find a church that's probably fighting about stupid stuff. They're not esteeming each other better than themselves. I want what I want. I want you to preach the way I want you to preach. I want you to have the programs I want you to have. Why, why, did we, why did we have to have a guitar there? And why did we move the piano from over there? And why did you pick that car- color of the carpet? You know what that's? And by the way, churches have split over the color of the carpet before. You know what that's an indicator of? Probably. That's a Dead Sea church. That's like the churches at Macedonia. It's all about me and what I want. You know, a, a church or a Christian that is like the Sea of Galilee that's outwardly focused, that church, you know what you're going to find? They'll be joyful. They'll be excited. They'll be thriving. They'll be growing. There'll be life. There'll be children playing. There will be fishermen bringing in a harvest, people getting saved. Why do we exist? To receive the gospel of Christ, to share the gospel, people getting saved. And when they get saved, they grow in the gospel. Then we want to see them connect through the gospel so they can learn and receive and hear and see from mature Christians around them. But then it doesn't stop there. Then we get involved in doing. Oh, it's at the end. Yes, the internals first. It's inside out, but it needs to make its way out. And it should change our lives, our marriages, our families, our attitudes, our purposes, our budgets, our schedules. It should change our priorities. Why? Because Christ in us has changed us. 
Thank you for listening to Messages from Liberty. Tune in next week for more Bible teaching or subscribe on iTunes to stay up to date with our current series.